Please be aware that this is a podcast about sex work. Therefore, it includes strong language, particularly language related to sex and the sex industry. There will also be mentions of stigma related to sex work, as well as state violence against sex workers. Sexual violence and trafficking may also be mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Babylon, the podcast that asks who's talking about sex workers and why. My name is Vanessa Ontiveros, and I'll be your host. Social media is everywhere and everything nowadays. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, you're considered weird if you're not on at least one of these platforms. I've even had classes and jobs that require me to use these networks. Sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're awful. Either way, they are here in part because of pioneering sex workers. I think like when it comes to social media, I would say like from early 2000s, like maybe like 2009 maybe and beyond. If we go back through like timeline histories, if we could archive so on and so forth. And then people who were like online at that time and can remember this, like there were black sex workers who were really starting to become, uh, if not visible, like having very honest and public conversations about like race, racial politics, value systems, hierarchies, social currency, so on and so forth, uh, law, legislation, how all of that affects us, and um, created a lot of language that people are using in other areas. Because again, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of overlap with communities. And so I think that sometimes people forget that a lot of the language and terminologies and cited works that people wax poetic about now, Black sex workers pushed a lot, especially when it comes to like womanism and our understanding of feminism in digital spaces now. That's Rebel Kunt the founder of Ho History, a social media collective that centers the stories and legacies of Black, Brown, and Indigenous sex workers. We first heard from them in episode one. And as they have said, pioneering sex workers are often among the first to settle new online platforms like Twitter and TikTok, all while facing censorship from people who do not want them on their sites. We briefly talked about this in the last episode, but it's worth mentioning again. Sex worker Twitter is a big thing. Part of the reason why could be because Twitter allows nudity and sexual content. So it makes it an easier place to advertise services. And if you're already on Twitter to talk business, you might as well discuss other parts of your life there while you're at it. This has blossomed into a rich community of sex workers, some who would identify as activists, some who wouldn't, all publicly sharing about the things that matter to them. Here's Rebel Cunt again. And again, like tying our history into certain things. I think social media helped to kind of push that, like provided a platform for us to be able to be vocal about things that um, you would otherwise like have to search like hell for if we weren't, we didn't have online spaces. And that isn't to say that, you know, sex workers who aren't in online spaces aren't equally impactful, if not more, because they certainly are. But I think that when we talk about social media and digital spaces, it's a really interesting, I don't know, like point of study, like how community building sort of happened organically in that way. And then 
being able to use social media to get certain work out there, the idea of Black sex workers theorizing in digital spaces. Femi Babylon is a sex working writer who shares her scholarship primarily via Twitter. Her account, at ThoughtScholar, has over 20,000 followers. She speaks on everything from the sex workers' rights movement to race to technology to motherhood. Originally, she used Facebook as her primary platform. However, she left the platform a few years ago and considers her content better fit for Twitter. When my account was smaller, I was smaller. And it, like between like a thousand, like 1,500 and like 9,000 followers, I started to really like focus on making, like specifically making content for Twitter. During that time period where I had that amount of followers, they upped the word count, the character count from 140 to 280. At first I complained about it, just like I complained about leggings. But then like with leggings, I came around, you know, and, and I decided it was a better life. So like, you know, I do that a lot with stuff on Twitter and people be getting mad because like I'd be so, I'm so loud and I'm so like passionate in my opinions and stuff on certain, especially small things like that. I'll be like, I hate leggings and all this other stuff. And then like two years later, I'll be wearing leggings and people will be like trying to call me out. And I'll be like, I already called myself out. I know what I said. It's still up. And I felt that way at the time. And now I don't like <laughs> And I do that with my threads with certain things too. When I've shifted on terminology, I just like quote tweet myself and be like, okay, so yeah, I used to think this back then. And just for all of you who are like going back to these old threads, this is the, uh, my updated thought. And this is my thought process on this. That's why I don't really delete a whole lot of older tweets because I feel like that helps me see how I've kind of evolved. One of the things Femi is known for is her love of and work with words. And social media's speed and reach allows her to play with language. Just a few weeks ago, she coined a new phrase for fear or distaste of prostitutes. In this clip, you might hear a baby in the background. And that's because Femi Babylon is a working mother. That's my made up word, by the way. Lupophobic. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna make it. It's in my Columbia paper. I was like, I'm gonna make it. It's a thing because people were like, you should publish it. And I was like, I should. Cause it's like, some people don't like to say horophobic and some people had Aww. somebody had said that it sounds clunky and I was like it does sound kind of clunky but you know it, it is it is what it is and then I was like thinking of words that I could like make up and in Latin lupa is like slang for prostitute it means she will and I really like that and whore has like a really nasty origin you know <laughs> like in German like they like it means like filthy dirty or whatever like it, it, in some dialects and stuff and I was like ew so I guess like I just wanted a fun word that I could use and like I like words so that's happened. She is also known for coining the term pro-hoism which Femi says is a mindset that centers the perspective of people who have sex for money. What I did was I took pro-ho because I kept seeing like people they don't I, I don't see it as much anymore but um people would put like um pro ho in their profile and their bio and stuff in conversation on Facebook and then I saw it in bios on Twitter and I was like pro ho pro me that's that's cool but I was in a lot of different black groups and um, most of them were black feminists so black non-men pro hoism is basically like um the pro ho um is derived from like the colloquial pro ho with the spelling h-o-e and I spelled it kind of like the frenchified way because that's you know I, I that's what I have been seeing when we spoke, Femi read from her working definition of the term. This next clip is an abridged version. The link to her full post on prohoism is available in the show notes. So, like, basically, prohoism, you know, describes a sex worker, womanist, or feminist, or a hustler, ho, 
committed to collective and personal justice, not just sexually, but through recognition of labor and physical security, radically Saudi, a pro-sex, pro-pleasure politic that is specifically centered on the multiply marginalized, might be marvelous. One who owns oneself and one's own sexuality or gender expression, regardless of whether or not they're attached to a man or masculine person. And then I put for the second definition, it was a womanist who rejects anti-host sentiments as well as respectability, racial capitalism, and whore hierarchies, rejects misogynoir and transmisogynoir, all forms of misogyny, period, does not accept nor engage in active or passive transphobia, homophobia, colorism, xenophobia, classism, or anti-Blackness, doesn't juxtapose the erotic and pornographic, and recognizes that non-exploitative pleasure comes in varied forms, is not always sex-centered, and is paramount to the human experience. Against all forms of erasure and systemic oppression, recognizes that solidarity is impossible without acknowledging difference and rejects the urge to homogenize experiences under the guise of inclusivity. Like a lot of people on the internet, Femi has dealt with online hate. It's no secret that sex workers who speak up are often targets for people who do not want to listen to someone who sells sex. But there are also those who think that only certain members of the sex industry should get to speak about issues. And like, sometimes I feel bad because there's like a lot of like um, um, younger sex workers who are like, they like one of them like tried in particular, like made a whole thread about me, right? Um, based off some faulty information or whatever. And they're just like hatred of the fact that I had like a lot of followers. And they kind of, like I said, people kind of like see me as like this public figure and I don't know why it makes me really uncomfortable. They were like, you know, you're not a full-time full-service sex worker. And that like kind of stayed with me because I was like, what is that? You know, like, I don't, that's not a real thing, but it, in my mind, it was like, so am I just not hoeing enough? Like, what is, like, what does that mean? And like, they, you know, and then like, I saw in certain pockets that like, people were like really upset at the fact that I have like this, you know, like I, what I consider kind of a semi-large following for the bracket that I'm in, but a small following compared to a lot of other people who are, have client facing accounts and different things like that and have hundreds of thousands of followers. Like they were just like, oh, she's taking up so much space. I don't want to like have to divulge all this trauma and all of this stuff to legitimize myself or make myself seem authentic to you people because you feel like I'm taking up space merely by my presence basically and like having a few thousand followers. Like that was just, it was a, it's a really weird thing. Femi says she strives to make her scholarship accessible, and Twitter remains a platform where she can widely share her work, for now. The threat of losing her account is always present. It was accessible to me, you know, like, you know, I did, I do have a website that I'm trying to, like, get some content for. I'll probably post the same content to Patreon and to my website, because I usually make everything free. But generally, like, um, Twitter, Twitter is where, like, a lot of my work is, and it makes me nervous, because, like, um, people lose their accounts all the time. I lost my Instagram account, um, like for no reason. Some sex workers do advertise on Instagram, though its stricter policies on nudity, including the infamous ban on female nipples, makes it trickier. As Femi said, strict policies mean accounts are at a greater risk of being taken down. And I think a lot of Instagram users can attest that it's not necessarily a site to build upon each other's ideas. And then there's the thriving world of strip talk. 
Strip Talk is a community of strippers on TikTok who both post videos about their work days and make videos explaining the industry to wannabe dancers or anyone else who's curious. Hashtag Strip Talk has over 1 billion views on its own. TikTok is still a new platform in some ways, so it's not a surprise that sex workers found an outlet there. I spoke with one such worker, a dancer named Sophia, aka at Sophia Officials. Since posting her first video in January 2020, she's amassed over 1.2 million followers and over 35 million likes. So what made me start my TikTok account was honestly out of boredom. I wanted to make memes just for like my girlfriends because I had like private stories with like my other dancer friends. And so I was like, let me just do it. And I didn't expect anybody to see it like at all. Cause like when I posted before I would get like 12 views and then one night I like posted something at like 1 a.m. and I woke up and it had like 700,000 views and I didn't even think anything about it. And that's honestly where it started off. I just kept posting consistently after that and I just blew up. You can't plan to get a viral TikTok, but it's happened to Sophia a couple of times. Well, the most viral video I have right now has about like 15 million views and honestly, it's a hit or miss. I honestly get super excited about it. And then also sometimes very upset because, you know, we get I get troll comments all the time about like what I do. They're just like, well, why like this, this and that. So honestly, it's just it's a little bit of both. Yeah, a little bit of excitement and a little bit of like, oh, shit. <laughs> One thing Sophia can plan for is the content she puts in her videos. And by now, she knows what's popular and what isn't. Most of my videos that get the most attention are me actually talking rather than using like viral sounds. And I think it's because I'm not problematic, but what my job is, is problematic. So it will always get traction, which sounds so weird, but I'm like, well, I know if I say something about it, there's going to be, you know, two types of responses like, oh, that's so cool. That's so interesting. Like, thank you for helping me. Or it's going to be the second one where they're just hating on me. But I'm like, you know what, I got to take both because interactions, interaction, and it'll get more awareness. <laughs> but the audio ones, when I use audios, it's mainly for like jokes, like memes. And like when I make those ones, those ones are primarily just for my friends. And if, you know, it doesn't get a lot of traction, that's fine. Because I'm like, it's just supposed to be relatable content for my fellow strippers. Whether they get 100 views or 1 million views, Sophia knows that her videos are making an impact. Aspiring dancers reach out to her in her DMs asking for tips and advice. Sophia even started a YouTube channel to address some of the frequent questions. When Sophia started out in the industry, she had a cousin who was already a dancer who helped show her the ropes. Now, she fills that role for other people. Honestly, I did it in the beginning for my enjoyment, but I realized I've helped so many girls make what we do normalized and that's something that I want to keep continuing to do I want us to be more normalized rather than us having that negative stigma around us but it's truly just for my entertainment and my enjoyment like there'll be times I go on little breaks where I don't post for a while and I'll get comments or like dms like hey where have you been like miss your videos and honestly that's what keeps me going is that is not just for my entertainment and my enjoyment, it's for others too that support me and that means the world to me. I also spoke with Sky, 
aka Sky Hopscotch, another stripper who posts videos on TikTok about her work and life. She's been a dancer on and off for eight years. She began uploading at the beginning of this year, and it now has over 300,000 followers and over 4 million likes. Like Sophia, a lot of her content aims to educate people, including aspiring dancers, on what the industry is really like. Well, the pandemic was really hard on me, I think, staying at home, not dancing. I just needed an outlet to reach more sex workers. And for anybody who's, you know, aspiring to be a dancer, I started seeing a lot of things on TikTok that were you know, very pro stripper and really kind of glamorizing the industry. And it's really not that glamorous. So I figured, you know, maybe put my voice out there. And if I can help somebody, then, you know, why not? Sky said part of her drive to start a TikTok and make her videos was her own experience having to learn on the job. You know, it's not like, you know, you, you know, when you start working at uh, like a restaurant, you have a lot of people training you and it's, you know, people are willing to help, but in the in the strip club industry, nobody's there to hold your hand. You know, they expect you going into the industry to know what you're doing. Um, if you ask a girl for help, she's probably not going to be very nice to you about it. I unfortunately had to learn as I went, just kind of the hard way through the ins and outs, through trial and error. In some ways, her experience as a dancer helped prepare her for a platform like TikTok. Strippers are performers, after all. Before stripping, I, I was very socially awkward just very anxious and it was very hard for me to get out of my shell and approach people and talk to people. And so dancing really, you know, brought that out in me to be um, confident enough to talk to people and not feel like if I had something that I had to say that, you know, people are going to think I'm stupid or this isn't worth talking about. Um, so I do think that being, you know, a dancer did help with, with my social media platform as far as being confident. As we discussed with Femi, while social media can be a liberating place to discuss your life, it also leaves you open to responses from haters. Trolls are a pretty familiar sight for pretty much anyone who has ever been online. And sex workers, as we know, already face a ton of stigma. Um, I try to block people as quickly as possible. I would like to say that, like, oh, you know, hate comments or hate comments. But, I mean, it does eat you up. You know, when you're reading thousands of comments sometimes, it can really get to you. Um, so just for my own well-being, I try to... I try to block, I try to delete the comment. Um, I also filter like keywords out on my content. Actually, I just recently started doing that, you know, things that involve like son, child, kid, just to avoid the stigma of being a mother and a stripper to avoid those comments. But I mean, I read them, I block them, and I try my best not to think about it later. Sophia has also faced more than her fair share of trolls. She said that they used to get to her, but now she doesn't read the comments as much. Some people just aren't worth the effort. I think at, like, the end of the day, like, most of, like, the comments online, you know, if someone already thinks that, like, a vid like a 60-second video on TikTok is not going to change their mind, so it's just not worth the energy. That's why I kind of refrain from reading hate comments and stuff like that. But in person, I feel like it's a lot more easy because they see you as a person. They're They're looking at you. They're talking to you. And they realize, okay, well, you're not just your job. You know, you can't always change everybody's mind and that's okay. Like everyone's entitled to their own opinion and it sucks that they don't agree with you sometimes, but that's just life. But sex workers on TikTok and pretty much every other social media platform don't just face discrimination from fellow users. Each platform has its own rules and guidelines it requires users to follow. But to an algorithm, the line between promoting sex and speaking honestly about your experience as a sex worker 
is very blurry. I asked Sophia if she ever has to censor herself. Oh, yeah, 100%. I have to censor myself a lot. Like, I realize that I cannot post in, like, a bikini or, like, a crop top or anything like that. Like, a lot of people ask, like, oh, I want to see your outfits. I'm like, I can't post in them because it will get taken down. And it's frustrating because I see, you know, women that aren't dancers or anything posting bikinis. And it's just fine, you know. But, yeah, we get censored all the time. Like, my posts will get taken down for, like, nudity and stuff. And I'll be completely dressed and I'll just be talking. You know, it's just like my head and I'm just like, oh, well, I didn't know that my naked face was nudity. But sex workers have found ways around the censorship. Knowing what words or phrases to avoid can mean keeping a video up and available. Here's Sky's approach, which is similar to what a lot of other dancers do. Some of the AI that is on TikTok, some of the software, it, you know, if you're using like captions, it is able to detect like keywords like stripper or things like that. So, you know, you want to put like a dollar sign or an exclamation point instead of an I. And if I'm saying certain things like sex worker, I try to say like snack worker or persmushmushin, like uh, words that sound very similar to it, but that are not that word. And I think that's really the only way around it. Sex workers aren't the only people who do this. It's pretty common on TikTok to obscure words related to sex or death. But it has led to a lot of phrases being coined that only make sense if you are in the know. My personal favorite substitute for a forbidden word is lonely hams instead of only fans. BB Gunn, a stripper and TikToker, is the person I first heard this from. Picturing all those lonely little hands is pretty cute in my mind. There was even a trend on TikTok based around this idea. A song originally by actor and musician Rocky Patera talks about not wanting to explain his job to people, so he just says he's an accountant. Because nobody asks you questions when you say you're an accountant. Now, in Rocky's case, he was talking about being a struggling actor who goes to auditions all day. The original video, posted in July 2020, has over 4 million views. That song got adopted by the sex work community, who could relate to having difficult conversations about their jobs. And now, Some people use accountant as a code word for sex worker. Language is weird like that. But even that isn't always enough to avoid TikTok censors, especially when a channel gets popular. Shadow banning is a touchy topic in the world of social media. It refers to when a social media platform does not out-and-out ban a user, but it does stop showcasing their content. The term gets thrown around a lot and can lead to conspiracy-like theories about average users being shadow banned, For the most part, I'm skeptical. But when it comes to sex workers, there's such a rich history of trying to silence the community that it would be hard not to believe. Here's Sophia's experience with shadow banning. You know, sometimes, you know, I'll get shadow banned right from the start. Like, I'll post a video, I'll wait like an hour or two to check on it, and it has zero views. And I'm like, that's not right when I have 1.2 million followers. You know, I should at least have at least have three views. I can say from personal experience that sometimes, when I search the accounts I follow, TikTok won't even show Sophia's username. I get worried every time because it might mean TikTok has finally suspended her account. Some sex workers end up having their accounts suspended or even removed permanently. That means having to start from scratch after working hard to cultivate a following. And that can hurt not only a person's pride, but their wallets. Sex workers can attract new customers to their social media, 
Not to mention the ways that creators can monetize directly through TikTok, which may be closed off to sex workers. Here's Sky. I would like to be partnered with the marketplace uh, with TikTok, but I have been denied three different times now. And they redirect me to the community guideline violations, so I would assume it's because it's stripper content. There's a lot of things that, a lot of aspects about the strip club, you know, that I would love to talk about but are just absolutely not PG whatsoever, or they might even be so, you know, trigger worthy that there's no point in really talking about it. You know, I get a lot of questions like, can you show us how to give, give a lap dance? Like, no, I can't, you know, can you show us what you wear to work? I cannot do that. Um, I have noticed that community guidelines are very strict about pole dancing that any, I mean, even, you know, girls on the community or guys that are just strictly pole dancers, they're not strippers, not within the sex worker community um, are getting banned left and right just for pole dancing because, you know, what you're wearing to pole dance, what I guess could be considered as, as revealing because you want your skin to stick to the pole. So you're wearing a short top, you're wearing shorts. Um, so I don't even really mess with like my pole during videos. And I get a lot of questions like, can you show us some of your moves or I can't, you know, I have to be as PG as possible. Sophia also said that when she was a part of TikTok's creator fund, she felt like her videos were actually being shown less often. One of the most prominent arguments against letting sex workers have a platform is that there are kids on this app. And that's true. But as BB Gunn has pointed out in multiple videos, it's not sex workers' job to monitor what kids are watching. That responsibility falls on to their parents or guardians. And you can find sexier imagery and language in a lot of media on TV or the radio. Also, sex workers just existing is not inherently sexual. But another big contributing factor to the censorship of sex workers online was the passage of anti-sex work legislation in 2018 known as FOSTA-SESTA. FOSTA is short for Allow States and Victims to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, and SESTA for Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which on the surface sound pretty good. We will talk more about FOSTA-SESTA in future episodes. Trust me, people have a lot to say about it. But for now, what you need to know is that it amended Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Section 230 used to shield websites from liability for user-generated content. A website could not be held responsible for the content posted there by users. But the passage of FOSTA-SESTA changed it so that websites can be charged if they are found to be facilitating sex trafficking on their site. And if you're a website trying to stay on the right side of this new law, the line between consensual sex work and sex trafficking looks very, very thin and content related to selling sex is too close to that line. In short, it made social media and the internet at large a more hostile place for sex workers. Sex workers have not taken online attacks lightly. FOSTA-SESTA is currently being challenged in the courts. And TikToker and stripper Rosie, aka at inappropororo, started a petition on change.org to challenge TikTok's censorship of her community. Over 45,000 people have signed already. The link to that is in the show notes. Sky said one of the best ways to support sex workers is to fight FOSTA-SESTA and bills like it. Sex workers will not be silenced easily. They have a lot to say, 
and social media is a way to reach a lot of people who otherwise might never have a chance to learn. Here's Sky. It's so important to us that we are able to get our stories out. I think that there's a stigma surrounding sex workers that we're all degenerates, we're whores, we are just awful people. And when you take away the title of being a sex worker, when you take that title away and you just are able to get to know somebody personally, I think it surprises a lot of people that we are just people too. You know, a lot of us do come from um, lower socioeconomic classes and sex working is really kind of the only thing that's able to pay our bills anymore in this dystopia that we do live in because it's, it's not cheap to live in America. You know, women have always had the right to, to use our bodies. I mean, and it, it, is, it is our right. So for us to be able to tell our stories, it's, it's important for other women who are A, wanting to enter the industry or, you know, B, thinking that we're just, you know, bad people. And we're not. We're, we're just people. In 2019, Femi Babylon published some of her essays and threads in a zine entitled Ho Thoughts on terminology and other unimportant things. The introduction really stood out to me because I think it speaks to the precarious space that sex work scholarship, particularly on social media, exists in. Quote, I decided to start collecting my tweets and random essays just in case. I may lose my account. I may be erased from most people's memory. I will not presume that I am that important to you, but I am that important to me. I am also aware that most people do not take the scholarship that is produced on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and other social media platforms seriously. Real scholarship is in books, or comes from academia, or is recognized by hundreds of thousands of people. Until the right people have recognized me, I do not exist outside my small social sphere. I started publishing things so that I could prove that I exist." End quote. A smart, capable sex worker can spend hours discussing their experiences and educating others, only to have it be gone in an instant because of the will of a platform's owners. And I think that anybody who is invested in the value of collective knowledge would be disturbed by that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Babylon Podcast. Babylon is an independent podcast that I wrote, edited, and produced as my final honors project at the University of Arizona. If you want to know more, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at BabylonPod. Special thanks to Roxander Guidi for advising this project. The music is Iron by Crowander. A very special thanks to Rebel Cunt, Femi Babylon, Sophia, and Sky for agreeing to appear on today's episode. You can find Rebel Cunt on Instagram at RebelWithoutABra and on Twitter at RebelCunt. That's Rebel spelled R-E-B-E-L-L-E. You can find the Ho History Project on Instagram and Twitter at Ho History. That's Ho spelled H-E-A-U-X. You can find Femi Babylon on Twitter at Thought Scholar. That's Thought spelled T-H-O-T. You can also find her online at ThoughtScholar.com. You can find Sophia on TikTok at Sophia Officials. That's Sophia spelled with a P-H. She is also on Instagram at xo.chacha.xo. You can find Sky on TikTok at Sky Hopscotch. She is also on Instagram at that same username. Once again, 
Thank you for listening.